0: Ain't got nothing to lose. Living life with
1: nothing to prove. I'm gonna be a of me. I'm gonna be. What's going on, folks? It's your boy Dr. Sean Thomas here again for episode eight of the Be More Today Show. We're back, we're back, we're back. We're back, we're back, we're back. All right, enough of that. So yeah, we're back on the show again. And it's so good to be here. Uh every week is different. We're still in quarantine mode across the world. And um, you know, I brought my my, my co-host with me today. He's my boy, the VP of be More today, Terrence Farrell. What's up, Terrence?
0: What's going on? What's going on?
1: I'm good, man. How was your week? How was your week?
0: Uh, the week was the week is all right, man. I'm I'm pretty excited. Got some new things coming down the pike. Um like we said, we're working on uh, Words for Life three, so I'm just I'm excited about putting that whole thing together.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah this is a good time to work on new stuff, old stuff, any stuff. So yeah, uh, that's a good thing. That's a great thing. Um, as always, we like to kind of start with a quotation or a thought for the week, and this week's thought comes from Oprah Winfrey. She said, "With age comes the understanding. Sorry, with age comes the undertaking and appreciation of your most important asset." your health. Uh, This is a weird week for me, Terrence. You know, I'm still working. I've been working ever since this thing um, started, clearly, because I'm in the healthcare field, and they it's essential. But, you know, I still do some home care visits when I see certain people um, who can't get out of their houses and who can't uh, do telehealth. And I don't know, man, I've been seeing a lot of stuff. Like, you know, I'm out there, and I know they're talking about social distancing and, and leveling the curve, and people are doing their job. But, there are still people who are out there who are not wearing masks. There are still people who are out there who uh, are not really abiding by the social guidelines that we we're supposed to be doing. Um, I, I walked by, or well, I was in the building, and I saw somebody getting a haircut. As I walked up the steps, they were getting a haircut in their, in their hallway. And I walked down the steps after my session, and all I saw in the hallway were just, like, the actual hair. Like, the, oh, the hair remained wow. from the haircut it's still on the floor. Um, I saw a postal worker who was going into a building. She had no mask on, no gloves on. Um, I've seen people holding weddings in various places. I'm just like, wait, what is happening? Like, I know we're supposed to be doing things and some people are doing it, but I feel like we're in this weird laundry, uh, it's weird dryer situation where, you know, some of us are actually doing it for real and we're all about it. And some of us are not so much doing it and Mm -hmm. it's taking us a longer time to get where we have to be. Um, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this, Terrence at all, but it's just really baffling to me because I, I, I do a, a, a decent job, I think making sure that. You know, we're keeping our job clean, and we're doing what we have to do with our job. But then I go outside, and I see people who are just not abiding by what we should be abiding by. So, what's up?
0: Yeah, I, 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 I see the same thing, and I can. I think it's because there's so many mixed messages. You know, mass are supposed to not really protect us it's supposed to protect the next guy and it's like well only if you have this type of mask and then it's this age group is not affected it's like oh wait they are affected so some people are they they feel like well if i've already had it or if i feel like i've had it or if i feel like i'm immune i don't have to do anything and then others are super cautious you know maybe to the nth degree and then there's this 5g thing going around so i I don't know. I can't explain it, but I know there is a level of confusion. But the quote that you said is right. As as we get older, we really start to realize how important health is. Yeah. You can have all the money in the world. You don't have your health. You can't do anything with it. Right. Um. And I, I guess it's 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 people's job to spread that not only to uh, people our age. And I say our age, but we're two different ages. Um, but also, to the youth that feel like hey dude it 's not going to hit me because when I was young I, I always felt like, "Hey, you give me three weeks in the gym i 'll look exactly the way I want to look as I get older, I realize that 's not a fact yeah what i what I do over the course of months it's going to take that many months or more to to get to where I want to be so it 's just it 's education it 's you know how people feel uh, how how much People feel like they're being lied to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I do think there is a difference between, you know, you talk about education and yes, it's book smart and it's also like street smart, you know, like like life yeah. smart. And yeah. a lot of people just aren't making smart life decisions. Um, I've heard all kinds of things on the news about <sighs> comorbid- comorbidities and people who have, you know, high blood pressure or diabetes or whatever. Those people are a little more high susceptible to being affected by this virus, which is true. Um, But at the same time, you know, a lot of my friends who are on the front lines are talking about now they're seeing that besides like the sense of smell and the uh, uh, the fevers and the coughs and that kind of stuff, they're seeing people who are having strokes in their 30s and 40s who are having strokes and they're recognizing that this is more like a cardiovascular thing as well. Mm -hmm. So people in their 30s and 40s are having strokes and they're they're not having enough time to really see if it's completely related to COVID-19, but they're starting to see that some cases people were positive. They weren't tested for it but they are positive for COVID-19 and they're, and they're stroking out. So this virus is super complex. It's it's, it's not just so much uh, affecting us in terms of our breathing and our, and our fevers, but it's also affecting people who are well in their thirties, forties um, who are getting strokes as a result. So um, I agree with you on the age thing, but this is something that literally affects everyone. And uh, you know, my charge to people this week is just to make sure you know the facts Um you know, there are people talking about drinking certain things and not drinking certain things. Mention that <laughs> uh, stuff that we should be drinking. You know what I'm saying? Oh so just know, know, know your facts, know what's going on, uh, 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 do your research. And again, social media does help, but not everything on social media is actually accurate. Mm-hmm. So make sure you're watching the right mediums, watching the right uh, streams to find out your information and making the right decisions. Because literally, if all of us come together and do that, we're fine. Um, and if we don't, we'll just be continuously in this like drier where some of us are doing the right thing and some of us are not. And we're never going to get to where we need to be unless that dryer has all the same people doing the same kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. I had to say
1: that. It's it's been (laughs) on my my mind all week.
0: (laughs) I mean, but it's it's bigger. And I don't want to make this a COVID-19 podcast, but I mean, we're looking at the states. The the states can't come together. The government can't come together. You know, from the White House, people are being put on the spot and they're looking at the camera like, I didn't say that. You know, so it's it's from the bottom all the way to the top. And when you yeah. see that at the top, it's like, hey, you know what? Forget the mask. I'm just going to do me. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but that's, that's where we are right now.
1: Right. Well, let me just say as, as a last point, everyone should have a mask on. Everyone. Uh, as a healthcare professional, we wear masks to protect ourselves, and you should be wearing masks, too, wherever you are, so, wherever you are. So if you're walking on the street, you're going down the block to the bodega, or just to your car, everyone should have a mask on. Uh, until we find out what is really going on and how this thing is really affecting us, it's just the safest way for us to communicate with each other and to interact with each other so mask up glove up please that's that's my 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 charge for this week for everybody um, guys i am I am super excited about our guest today. He is uh, a man of many many talents. Uh, I've known him because our wives are friends our wives are attorneys and we're we're with attorneys, <laughs> so we could have a whole show based on that alone. Uh, but his name is Craig Buta, and he's a New York native. Craig Buta is an actor, director, and producer. He has been a fixture in the independent film scene in New York for the last decade. Born and raised in Staten Island, he has spent most of his adult life banging around the borough of Brooklyn in the neighborhoods his family immigrated to earlier in the 20th century. An Italian-American with one foot stuck in an old neighborhood and one foot stuck in the bohemian art world of New York City, his life and work have examined this struggle. Originally intent on a life in the theater, Craig learned to hustle down in Coney Island during the turn of the century. A college graduate undercover as a carny hustler, he spent his summers working the microphone on games at the Canyon Music Park. He saved that money to study acting under the great and recently deceased Bill Esper. At the William Esper Studios, where the methodologies of Stanford Meisner became a backbone for his life's philosophy of being in the moment and listening and then responding. Craig molded his experiences down in Coney Island into a one-man play that never saw the light of day. He was in the midst of a decade-long run as a high school math teacher in a now-defunct Brooklyn Catholic school, Brooklyn Catholic High School and felt like he was burning the candle at both ends, teaching high school during the day and working theater at night. He felt that not enough people were seeing his work. So he transferred a stage show to a short film, which later premiered at the SXSW Film Festival, and helped him forge a lifetime of friendships with like-minded young artists. Since his initial short film, he has gone on to act, direct, and produce numerous regarded feature films and documentaries that have taken him around the world. He currently lives in Fort Greene with his partner and daughter. Be more today's show, Terrence Farrell. Welcome our guest, director, producer, and actor, Craig Buda. Nice. Hey, guys. Good afternoon.
2: What's going on, boy?
3: (laughs) Uh, Nothing much. We just put the baby to nap, so I have the house to myself. The timing is perfect. Nice.
1: Well, ready to go. Awesome. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're here. Good. Um, we're here. We're here. We're happy you're on the show. We're happy that you're joining us today. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. So, um, you know, I know you're um, uh, an actor, producer, director. And I know that, as you know, clearly all of that stuff's been kind of put on pause in, in certain aspects. So, what's your current situation right now, given all of the events and responses to COVID 19? Yeah, so, so I'm
3: pretty lucky that I'm mainly working in the film industry. Um, and on a typical year, I'll earn maybe 60% of my income off TV commercials, and then the other 40% more creative projects, uh, feature films, documentaries, uh, art projects. Uh, right now, the commercial fields are done. We, we can't make TV commercials. Uh, it's, you know, it's the same way the corporate America shut down, commercial shut down. But um, the film industry has three phases, pre-production, production, and post-production. Both pre- and post can still happen remotely, so I'm doing both of those. A feature film we shot in December in Brooklyn, New York, um, is in the editing phase, and that's something that's able to be done remotely. My editor is working in his house; he shares links with our team. We share notes. Um, what's interesting is we're at a phase in the pre, in the post production process with that particular movie where we would typically do what's called a test screening, which is we invite a bunch of people that don't know each other, that don't know about the movie, maybe that aren't hip. We don't know about the, the industry. And we put them together, see, how do they react? And that's the one piece that we don't have right now, is we're doing our test screenings remotely. So I'll send someone a link and a questionnaire, but there's really no substitute for the infectious nature of laughter in a movie theater. Mm. Um, you yourself watching Netflix, you may laugh at this joke or that joke. But when you're in a theater with strangers and everyone starts giggling about something, maybe you realize you're pick, you didn't pick up on it. or maybe there's a vibe that you want, you know what I mean? And we all kind of become in sync as a group and experience as a whole, and that we don't have right now. So so that's been a little frustrating, but we're working around it. And with technology and these computers now, um, things that used to take place in studios that maybe you've seen on these giant sound stages and and big screens to do color correction, much everyone's able to work remotely. Um, Some of these files are very large and require big hard drives to be shipped around, but for the most part, uh, the post-production side is working. So I'm doing that uh, as, as a job. And then I'm also helping develop projects. So the first phase of getting a movie off the ground is really working intimately with a writer. And sometimes it's just script notes. Like, how can we make this story clearer? You know, it's really define who the protagonist is and what's their struggle. And then sometimes it's me coming in with a producer's cap on and saying, let's be realistic. you got three different locations here. Why can't he always meet his friend in the same location? That'll be a third the cost for locations. Mm -hmm. Let's simplify this. Instead of five different characters he meets, why doesn't he meet his same buddy every week? You know what I mean? That way we have a better part to offer an actor, and it's one character instead of five. So Mm -hmm. that's what I'm doing with a few filmmakers now is helping them make their scripts producible. So when this thing does open up, we're ready to go. We got our lookbook. We have our script. We have schedules. I'm doing budgeting. I'm putting together what we call package and beginning the process of talking to investors. So when the gates open, we're first in line, ready to go.
1: Yeah. but mm-hmm. so yeah.
3: We are making the most of it right now, I believe. Awesome. Awesome.
1: That's, that's uh, I can't imagine, uh, but that that's amazing that you guys are still just pushing and moving forward. And it, it's it's so fitting what you said about that, that experience. You know, when you go to the movie for the first time or the second, third, fourth, fifth time, you're just with people, like we're missing that. And yeah. there've been a number mm-hmm. of films that have been you know, debuted earlier, or just put directly to film or to TV, so we can you know enjoy those things. But we're never going to get that initial viewing together you know, for those things. Like
3: end. a friend of mine did, Invisible Man, mm-hmm. and uh, that's mm-hmm. like exactly a movie that it was really good, but it would have been great in the theater. Right? That's the, the, yeah. Those jumps in, in those kind of classic, you know, universal horror stuff that make you all jump together. It's meant to be done together. Yeah. Even the whole sound design it, it is about us being together and getting you tense. And then popping you, so you jump out of your seat. Right. There, there's a psychology to that that's very different when we are watching a Netflix show. Right. The mentality, they make everything 8 to 10 digestible episodes. Everything is about addiction. Everything is about not giving you a payoff and making you go to that, net- oh baby, let's watch one more episode. Mm. Let's watch one more episode. Mm-hmm. We, we, even, we fell into this last night. We stayed up later than we wanted to because the way they're writing is purposely giving me something that lasts eight minutes
2: Mm -hmm. that I'm curious about. (laughs) And I
3: can't find out until I go to the next one. It's like um, the old mystery novels that like the novel, the chapters aren't very good until the last page. And then the last page of the chapter is good. And the first page of the next chapter is good. And then it's a lull.
1: Yeah. It's a hook. Yeah. And they just keep you in there. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, So yeah, I mean, you, you're, you're, you're clearly into this thing and you have been, And, you know, we read your bio, but when did you realize you wanted to be uh, in this field of of the arts?
3: So I think the most honest answer is I didn't know arts were a field Mm. and I I didn't know, I didn't realize, and and this is sort of dumb of me, but when a film is over, you see those credits roll and there's hundreds of jobs. And, And I never really thought about any of those jobs. I only thought about those credits that happened before the movie rolls. Mm-hmm. They say mm-hmm. the director, the writer, the actor. And I think a lot of young creative people think that way. Everyone wants to be a director. They don't realize that there's a whole industry. Um, so mm-hmm. I did not realize there was a field of arts, that there was a business of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to be an actor. I, um, I got hooked in doing high school theater. And basically, I just had a good voice, not, not a singing voice, but um, I was able to project so they could hear you. So I got parts for nothing else. Yeah. Um, and we did sophomore year of high school, we did Brighton Beach Memoirs, uh, which is about a 16-year-old boy in Brooklyn. So it was the first time, because most of the times when you see a high school play, a junior high school play, the kids are playing adults. Mm-hmm. There's a real, you know, and it looks goofy. You know I mean? You, you have a <laughs> bunch of eighth graders, but they're playing a whole family. So one of the eighth graders is a grandma and one mm-hmm. of the eighth graders is a kid. Right. But here I was 16, playing a 16 year old, playing an actual part that if I were a professional, I could be up for. And I was able to feel the part in a way that I hadn't previously or even considered the craft of, art, uh, of acting. And, and I really think that's what hooked me in. Um, having the audience in the palm of my hand um, and knowing that I could move them how I wanted to was, was amazing. Um, I went to a Catholic high school. And the play Brighton Beach Memoirs, written by Neil Simon, it, it has a few um, sections on masturbation mm-hmm. and, and puberty. The, the younger cousin is going through puberty, and it's old Brooklyn where you live in a house with all your cousins. and you know, So he's attracted to his cousin. Mm-hmm. And the principal comes in and is like, we got to cut all this stuff. And he basically edited the play. But what he didn't realize is he edited the play after I memorized the play. Oh. And I had memorized the entire play, everyone's lines, everything, because I want to do a good job.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So we go up there and I slip the first night and I added a joke um, that we weren't supposed to have. And during the, the halftime, whatever you call it, the intermission mm-hmm. of the theater show, um, the the play, the theater director comes back there and he's undressing me in front of the whole the whole crew were backstage, the crew, and the actors, and he's yelling at me. He's like, dude, what do you think you're doing? I told you to cut that. Now, whatever you do, you better go out there and do it the same way again. And like, <laughs> I didn't realize what he said. to me. I started crying. And I was like, he just gave me the okay.
2: Yeah. The
3: okay. <laughs> so we went out there and it was like, you know, it's like magic. Like I looked at him and I cued the spot where we weren't supposed to have a spotlight. Mm-hmm. And he put the spotlight on and I walked out into the spotlight. There's a 16 year old kid. This is. Take some guts, and I gave the monologue that was cut, mm. and just has the audience and the palm of my hand rolling. Yeah, and it yeah. was so powerful. Yeah, and it, it felt like a real rebellion. You know, who am I rebelling against? The principal of my school, but it, it just felt like I was doing Neil Simon's play justice. This yeah. stuff is not that edgy. Everyone in the audience could relate to it. it. It's about the insecurities of being sixteen, of becoming a man, of not knowing to do with this sex drive when you're a poor kid, and the only people you're interacting with is family. It's hilarious. I mean, and and the work still stands up. So I think that's where the seed was planted. Got it. Um, When I went to university, I was the first in my family to go to college. Mm -hmm. And my dad was not hearing that he was going to get, you know, he had to put the house up for um, what do you call it, a second mortgage. I forget the term, but he had to sell the house back to the bank Mm -hmm. to get money to send me to college. And there was no way he was doing this so I could go be a theater actor. Um, So I was sort of forced to go into a business education and math stuff. Um, And I did it. And there was a lot of uh, sort of tension. uh, But I got a business degree at George Washington University, a good school. And every waking moment I spent going around D.C. acting, whether it was at Howard University, GW, the independent scene in D.C., all I did was like, and, and this is maybe the mindset that I developed was you do A, so you have the freedom to do B. I never saw them come together till later in life, that A and B could be one thing. I'd always seen it as you hustle, so you have the freedom to express yourself. And, and you do good in school when you get that 4.0, so dad leaves you alone the summertime when you're like, yo, I'm going into Manhattan to do this off-Broadway play, and it's weird, and you can't come see the show. But you know that balance gave me my freedom. And it really wasn't until five years ago that I kind of cracked the code that these two things could become one for me. Mm. And that my hustle, my job could be rewarding in a way that before I was seeing as my nighttime
1: activity, my passion versus my work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that a lot. Talk to me about your family a little bit. Does your family influence you at all in terms of your work as an artist? Because it seems like they weren't always as uh, into you doing this thing. Is that true or not?
3: No, sure. I mean, even, God, even it was a few years ago, my mom said something like, well, maybe you're just not that good. <laughs> okay. You know, so oh, wow. sort of the reverse of what you expect to hear from mama. Be like, right. no, you can. You know, they just they didn't get it. I mean, I got part in some pretty cool things, and their re- reaction would be like, yeah, but why aren't you on The Sopranos? Uh, or they would come see my part in a movie and be like,
2: yeah, but you're only in
3: it for ten minutes. It's like you know how hard it is to get in a movie for ten minutes, right? <laughs> you know how hard is like. And it's just like, no, I'm sorry. I'm not Brad Pitt. I'm not the lead on this movie. Right. But like, I'm working with what I have. And I'm pursuing something that seemed completely impossible and succeeding. And it's just like not registering.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and I'm sure that that has given me, that's been part of my engine to keep going. Yeah. Uh, I think I've had to distance myself from that as an adult. Distance myself from anyone sort of judging me in what the success levels are. Um, because I know how hard I'm working, I know where I'm finding satisfaction, Mm -hmm. you know. But just to jump into the family thing, someone asked this at a family dinner maybe 10 years ago, asked my mom, like, so why is Craig into all these things that you guys aren't into? And she told a story that she had never told me about her grandfather back in Naples, and that he was in the arts in Naples and did puppet theater. So oh. mm. somewhere, you know, like we're Im- we were, you know, 20th century immigrants in New York, yeah. And that generation of Italians, we cut off. We cut off who we were before. We all became working class. We all went, you know, like on the waterfront. Everyone went to the docks. Everyone hustled. No one spoke Italian anymore. You didn't speak Italian. You know, my name. I was named Craig to to make people think I was white. To make people think I'm a, a, a just a regular American boy and not mm. a veto or mm. not, you know. So mm-hmm. they did everything to try to get us to acclimate to mm-hmm. America. Mm-hmm. And they never told us about who we were in Italy and what our family lines were for hundreds, even thousands of years. Um, so I realized that I did have bloodlines in the craft and art world of performance. Um, and they worked more. My family, turns out, was into... They would design the clothing of the puppets. Yeah. You know, that, that's all... That's all I have as far as the family tree that I'm aware of. Yeah. Uh, we don't really have much more information than that.
1: But that's awesome, though. There's a lineage there that, you know, got you somewhere to where you are. So I think we all have those 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 seeds that are planted. And yeah.
3: And I wish we, you know, things are very different now with, like, our daughter – If I could speak another language, I would, you know, Sid is learning sign language just to teach our daughter sign language.
2: Mm -hmm. We're going Mm -hmm. out of our
3: way to give her information. Um, So I really do wish that I had more Italian in my life. I I took a trip and spent six months living there to try to connect to that. Um, But it was not from the family. The family very much became Italian American,
1: which is its own thing. It's own ethnicity outside of being Italian. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about William Esper Studios and th- this concept of being in the moment. I know it's, it's been shared when it comes to athletes and actors. So what does that yeah. concept mean for you?
3: So when I wanted to, I got out of college, and did, I'll tell this brief story because it doesn't really relate to how things work now, but it, it's right before 9-11. I got out of college, I come back to New York, and I realized that nobody told us how to start. And I, I'm sitting in New York city being like, well, how do you get a job? Like, what do you do? I don't like, I don't understand. So I took the New York post and the daily news and I opened up to the back to the classified ads and mm-hmm. I start looking for jobs. Like I saw people do in the movies where you take a pen and you circle things.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And <laughs> I was qualified for none of the jobs. Of course, <laughs> the only job I was qualified was to teach, um, SAT classes. Cause I had a high score in the SAT. So mm-hmm. I get into doing that, that became my hustle. And I was like, I've got to gotta get into this acting world. There's no auditions in the New York Post for movies. Yeah. Like, I didn't even know how to start. Um, so I started looking at Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, and looking at the great actors, or who I thought were great actors that were in my you know, demographic, let's say. And they had all studied with Stella Adler and Lee Strasberg. And, and these were the great American teachers of the, the 50s and 60s, 40s, 50s, 60s where most of your super famous actors that came out of the actor's studio um, trained with these guys. And they were all, you know, they're, 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 their school of thought all comes from Russia at the turn of that century with Stanislavski. Anyway, I don't want to get too just to bore your audience, but Stanislavski did a play in 1896 in Russia, and he rehearsed it for a year. There's a character in that play, a waiter, uh, not a waiter, a butler, who has only one line. This guy with one line had to rehearse for a year <laughs> because he believed every character must be fully realized. Mm. And even though you only hear them say one line, they should be prepared to have a full life. He the lawn with real grass and had his people go out and record crickets to have the sound of real crickets. Now this was a revolution in the theater and it translated to America of this idea of, you know, truthful behavior being in the moment. And I think the sports metaphor is this. You don't study your lines and say, how am I going to say my lines? Because you have no idea what the guy's going to give you. Mm -hmm. Just like in tennis, there's no point in planning where I'm going to swing. I don't know where the guy's hitting the ball to me. It is Mm -hmm. about reaction, Mm -hmm. then action. But the reaction is so much more important because if I'm not getting to the ball, it doesn't matter what my swing is. Mm -hmm. I have to be where that ball lands. Mm -hmm. And, And that's what the acting training became about. About, you know, being there, taking in what the person says to you, the subtext, and listening, not from the ears, but from the heart, and letting it affect you. And now that's something that helps actors work, um, especially on a film where you're just jumping in and you didn't have much rehearsal, you didn't have time to really dig into the text. So it changes the way of listening. Um, But I think for me, it became a part of how I was a teacher, a part of how I was a partner, a part of how I've been a businessman. A part of how I'm a salesperson is just listening. People are telling you a lot more than what their words are, and the Meisner technique, the training that we did, really taught us to, to listen, process, and then speak. Mm. Mm. And I think you know there, there is definitely that is exactly what I think the, a great basketball player is doing. They're so present, they're yeah. so in the moment. It's so fluid the way they're whatever moving beyond the other act, the other person. They can't be three steps ahead. They have to be present in, in almost a spiritual way to be able to float through those people because their opposition is moving. You know what I mean? The guards, are, they're, they're moving in real time across. It's just chaotic. And I couldn't imagine playing basketball at that level. But, mm-hmm. but you know, with words and on the stage, I do understand it in, in that context.
1: Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think about LeBron James and how they always say that he has this IQ. He just sees everything. And and that that being in the moment is that same concept, of just being able to recognize everything around you and and re- and react and respond. Um, yeah. So yeah, that 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 brings me to my next question for you, which is, you know, I have a lot of friends who and, and listeners on the show who um, are not really want to be it, but they're working in some kind of a job, right? They're either doing something they have to do, they may not want to do, but they're doing it now to get to the next level or to get to where they want to be. What was it like for you working in that high school setting, knowing that your passion was for uh, uh, something bigger than where you were?
3: So I think there were three stages there. Um, the first stage was that old mentality of like, you get a restaurant job so you could do what you want to do. I, when I was 20 years old, I was bartending in Washington, D.C., and that just got too dark for me. It was, it was too easy to party every night. I was not being creative. It was really sucking me up. So when I decided I wanted to do theater in New York, I was like, well, I need a day hustle. Right. or a night hustle, but I don't want to do what everyone else is doing. I don't want to wait tables and bartend. Let me flip it and substitute teacher, and then I'll do theater at night. Um, so I go into a high school that was just across the street from where I was living, and I went in, and I tied my hair up so they couldn't say I had long hair, and I tried to, tried to look professional, wore my best suit, <laughs> and we started talking about trigonometry during this meeting. And, you know, I guess I said the right thing because I went home with this giant envelope, And when I went home, I called the guy, the principal. I was like, sir, I think you gave me the wrong envelope. This is a 200-page contract with the union. He's like, yeah, do you want to start teaching? I was like, no. He's like, look at the price. I I moved you to year seven. So he's going to pay me as if I'd been teaching for seven years. Wow. Wow. All right. Well, this fixes all my problems right now. Like Mm -hmm. This right now is going to set me up. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, I think I could do that. He's like, all right, you start tomorrow. So I walk in tomorrow, and because I'm the new guy, I have the worst schedule you can get as a teacher. Mm. Every period, I'm teaching a different subject. Oh, I have to learn wow. five textbooks. Uh, you know what I mean? And I, I'm walking out like a freshman with a stack of textbooks through the hallway, and I bump into this slovenly guy with one eye, and his shirt tail's coming out, and he's got mustard all over his shirt. Someone's like, yeah, he's the head of the math department. So- uh, hey, sir, how are you doing? I, I'm Mr. Butte. I'm, I'm the new math teacher. Um, you know, I'm a little confused here. Uh, you know, do you have a curriculum? You know, there, are there curriculums for each course? Uh, he's like, what? I said, well, wh- what am I supposed to teach them? And he looks at me and just goes, teach them math. <laughs> 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 and, and that was my teaching training program.
2: <laughs> um,
3: so I began teaching the same way reason someone might work at Starbucks so that way they could be a painter or yeah. someone might work in a restaurant. Yeah. And, I very quickly fell in love with those kids Awesome, and I I always loved mathematics and it is an amazing subject because math can go into any story. So I would start each day with the New York times and I'd read an article to them and we would start by talking about current events. And then I would try to find a segue each day of current events into my math lesson. And, you know, and I, and the way I thought it is like half these kids aren't going to learn math anyway. But mm-hmm. if I could teach them a little bit about what's going on in the world, how mm-hmm. to lease a car versus financing and how to yeah. buy, like, if I could school them <laughs> a little bit, it doesn't really matter what subject it says on the door. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then I began to use the school um, to make art. And what I would do is all summer long, I would shoot and that's when I was working in Coney Island. So I was down in Coney Island hustling. Our family bought some property there and, and I was doing uh mic work and I'm on the work, you know, I'm on the, I'm like idiot on the microphone. Like, step up step in get ready to win one in wins any prize any size coney island's biggest prize and i would do that all summer and hustle and then make art on the weekends or at night and then i had all school year to edit and try to get into film festivals so mm. I, I was making the most of it but i hit a point where i was shooting all summer making a movie i was teaching all year but i also had to teach an after school program to make enough i was editing at night then i was doing a play and I remember on my 30th birthday, I was just like, I, I've been up since 5.30. It's 1 in the morning. I'm just getting off. I'm just finishing my work. I'm only sleeping four hours a day. This this can't go on. The, the, my mm-hmm. body is not 26 and I can't just run on adrenaline. Yeah. Uh, I, need, I need a diet. I need to sleep. Um, and that's when I, I hit the phase three of teaching, where teaching started to hold me back and, and hold me back from being creative and I had to get rid of it. Um, but, you know, that still phase there when I was really in love with the kids and I was getting something creative and I was bringing everything back. I, um, I was running this program, we were calling it the High Five. And all the Broadway, Off-Broadway theaters, uh, Radio City Music Hall would give me $5 tickets on Monday nights. So Monday nights are like the worst night, right? No one ever goes out. So I was taking these kids, these group of kids from Brooklyn, all very diverse group, and I would take them every Monday night to see a show. And like, you know, just, they were so inspired. They would come see my plays. I took them to film festivals. So there there was a real sweet spot there when my energy was at its highest. Mm. (laughs) But at Mm -hmm. some point I needed to break away and focus more energy on the arts. And, you know, what I did, my transition, I don't know if this is helpful to your audience, but my transition was to get back to the bar world. Because what happens in the bar world is when you want to take off, everyone's dying for your shift. You get the Friday, Saturday night at a bar, and you're making two, three, four hundred dollars 400 When you want to take off, people are jumping in line. So it's very easy to get time off to shoot a movie. It, while mm-hmm. teaching is very hard to get off. Right. It is. You don't want to do that to your kids. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You become – you're like, wait, I only get 180 days. And then with the test, with this, it's like I'm only in the classroom 150 days. Mm-hmm. I'm not taking a sick day. Mm-hmm. The kids are the ones who are losing out. While bartending, you never feel anything if you take a sick day. Yeah.
0: Right, right 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 um i i wanted to i mean the fact that you're doing that you're actor director and producer um i i guess personally because i'm in music and you know i i i am the, the songwriter the producer and also the mix the the mix engineer so i i understand all the different facets or to some degree of what it is you're doing my question is which do you enjoy most, the acting, directing, or producing? You
3: know, I don't think anything will top acting in the theater. I think the live audience working on classical text that's tried and true. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing like doing Chekhov and, and, and doing, like, great work in a theater. Um, nothing will ever be that high. Now, I'm not getting those parts. They're not, you know what I mean, Lincoln Center is not calling me to be in an Ibsen play. Like, they're just not. And so that is not necessarily where the industry wants me.
0: Right, Um, right, right,
3: right, right. Even directing, I've had the opportunity to direct TV and film. Um, I haven't hit home runs in that field. I've hit more home runs on the business end because I think that that's where I've always had to balance. I think because of the way I came up, I always had to think about money. I've never been able to say, oh, I'm just going to worry about my movie creatively. I've always had to worry about, well, how am I paying for the movie? How am I paying for my life while I make the movie? How am I paying to get the movie out there? And Mm -hmm. I essentially developed a producer's mindset of creatively making the project as good as possible, but also constantly being aware of time and money. And whether I wanted to be that person or not, that's who I became. And I'm very comfortable with that because I am in the arts. I am being creative on a daily basis. Um, But maybe my ego had a chill the ego of maybe being the singer on the track. Like if we made a music video, uh, it's not me up front. You know what I mean? But I'm going to be involved in everything. I'm going to be involved in what lens we shoot, who is up front, how we're moving the camera, how this thing is getting out there and showing it. It's not being my face anymore. And I'm more than comfortable as I'm aging with that. The last thing I would want to do is be on camera right now and have to worry about, does my hair look good? Am I losing my hair? Am I gaining weight? Do I look cool? Do I need a tan? Um, <laughs> I really like that. I've, uh, the ego down, and I'm behind, and I can wear what I want and do what I want, and it sort of gives me a little more flexibility to be myself because I'm not. Alone. I don't have to watch what I say. I can be a little more erratic, you know.
0: Right, right, right. No, that, that makes that makes perfect sense. I mean, um, I think it's a it's a level of maturity when somebody can say, "Hey, this is the shiny thing, but yeah. um, this is what's going to pay the bills, or this is basically this is where the market is telling me." They like where I am. This is this is the position the market likes me in.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's like there's right, like we're not in control. We may think we are, mm-hmm. but like if we listen, if we pay attention and, and, and really listen, so someone's asking us something. And it's so much easier to listen and, and, and give back than to try to force something that no one wants. Right. Um, now look, certain people have a vision. I, I have worked with artists that, that have a vision that doesn't make any sense at first and they, are, they stick to that vision, and eventually people see what they were seeing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are those people that have that very specific vision that, you know, we were working with this hip-hop actress, who, hip-hop artist who's an actress in a movie, and, like, it doesn't make sense what she's about. Like, I don't get it, but I know that she sees it so clearly. You know what I mean? Like, she's mm-hmm. being so truthful to herself. No one should advise her to do anything but be her. Right. And eventually something will happen. I think for me, the desire to be an actor was just like, I wanted to be heard. I like that. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to be heard. Maybe that comes from not being heard in the house and needing to be heard on stage. And now I'm with a good partner. I have a daughter. I do feel heard. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I play every day with my daughter and it feels as good as any movie I've acted in.
2: Yeah, I needed
3: cool. present tense. We are in the moment. I am really the monster getting her or I'm really the customer (laughs) at her new kitchen. She opened, you know, like the the play and the pretend is in my life. So I have that. I don't feel like it's missing. You know what I mean? So I'm not like got this itch. That's like not satisfied. I feel satiated as a silly person, as a creative person. Um, I'm just more interested now in like, not just making work, not just making money, but like, There's good work out there that's not being made and and, and trying to shift the conversation to maybe work. That's a little bit more serious or funny. I mean, it could be comedic, but just shifted away from what Netflix is doing and what Netflix drug dealers do. They're trying to get you hooked and not think they do not want you thinking they want you consuming and consuming. And every day you need a bigger dosage and you need more and you need more and you need more and you don't need more. You don't need to, you don't need that many movies. You need more reflection. You need movies that make you think about movies more or think about yourself, but you don't Mm -hmm. need more content. You shouldn't be watching more stuff. Watch Mm -hmm. less stuff that feels, makes you feel more and makes you more tender with your partner and makes you more silly with your child and maybe makes you more, whatever creative, more earthy, whatever you need. Um, So hopefully we're going in that direction with the work.
0: Okay. All right. I mean, that, that leads directly into the next question I had. Um, What do you feel the challenges are and are they any different now with the quarantining and COVID-19?
3: So, he, so here's the situation what's happening. Um, this is a little bit of business, but anyone out there that's trying to make short films or art films, they should be very realistic about what just happened. When the break happened, there were TV shows that are being paid for by major corporations that were cut short, right? Mm-hmm. So whether it's you know, Stranger Things or this or that, like they, they stopped mm-hmm. mid-season. Mm-hmm. Now we are not going to be able to get those shows up and running again until September, you know, maybe August, but there's just too many people on set. There's nothing indie about doing that. Those are 70, hundred person sets. Mm-hmm. So we need to in California and New York, where most of these shows are filmed, they mm-hmm. need to have hundred people in a room together. Once they allow that. And we're, that's when we're officially back. All these actors, they've got to go back and do their shows and finish. Now, when they're finished, there's going to be all the work they were supposed to do (laughs) from (laughs) summer and fall that now they have to do after that. So anything that's a tentpole, anything that's Harry Potter, Disney um, Lego movie, anything that's big, any big TV show is going to have to come first. So the Mm -hmm. indie theater, the the world that I worked in, what we would often do is we get a TV star and we say, well, in between doing this show and this show, Mm -hmm. maybe we can get you for four weeks on this indie film. And they're like, Hell yeah, man. I'm getting paid plenty right now on TV. Mm-hmm. I'll do it for you at $1,000 a week. I don't care. I just want to do something different. That's going to be on pause for us. That's mm-hmm. going to be very challenging to get name actors that are Hollywood stars or TV stars to come down and do something creative because they're going to owe. They're going to owe so many days on their show, owe so many days on their bigger contracts that they're going to have to do first. Um, so, so that's the reality of when we go back in as a producer. That's always my angle is I got this hot script. You don't really know the director yet, but let me get one famous person. Mm-hmm. Get one famous person that's worth a million. Now we're going to make a million dollar, a $2 million film. And you know, you can sell it because we have performer X or performer Y mm-hmm. and they're going to get it sold. We're not going to make a fortune, but enough to justify investors investing in this line of, of work. I think we're going to be really challenged there uh, when we come back. Now, what I see, though, is between now and then is an opportunity. Now, uh, you guys are talking about staying in the house and wearing a mask. So what I'm saying is kind of the opposite the, <laughs> the birth of the illegal film that will start soon. There's an underground movement that, it, that is building right now across this country. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not talking about the right wingers with my body don't wear a mask. Uh, people can't stay inside. It's not possible. Right. Human behavior, we can't actually be inside all day. And if you live in the city in an apartment building, you, you can't stay inside. You will go crazy. <laughs> like, it's just, you, you can't do it. You have to go out. And if you're an artist, you have to make art. You, you have to. These aren't things that, like, Cuomo could say, oh, you can't be creative right now. No, we, we have to. And there are people already buzzing about what can we do before the industry opens. And I think that's going to be an opportunity for creative people to get people they normally couldn't get involved in their projects to jump in because these big-name actors are told they can't work. now. Right. Maybe that doesn't happen because of insurance and unions, but I do think right now is an opportunity to be very creative. And I don't mean this week, you know, I'm not like to break the quarantine, but after May 15th, when we start entering these phases that allow us out of the house, but don't allow us to do major productions, Mm -hmm. but we can do minor productions. We could do a six person movie. Mm-hmm. Right. We could have a movie where where maybe the actors are in their home. You know, we, we, we could be creative. And I'm sure there are a lot of filmmakers right now making their zombie films or making their quiet dude alone <laughs> in a car movie. Because right. those are things you could do. And I'm very curious in the next four or five months, while Hollywood and TV is on hold, in what can we create?
0: Mm-hmm. That, that's that's the, So your message is basically people need to be ready.
3: Yeah, for sure. So depending on where you are at, maybe right now, use that time to work on your script. Maybe reach out to some producers and and get them to work on a budget. So when people ask you about your script, I mean, sometimes people just say numbers like, oh, it's a $4 million movie. Couldn't make it for a penny less than eight. They don't know what they're talking about. There is a a mathematical way of figuring out what a script costs
2: Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it is
3: annoying and takes two weeks But you put this script through these software and this machine, and someone like me works on it, and I come out, and I tell you exactly what it costs to make this movie, and I give you a blueprint. Making that right now is valuable. Mm -hmm. Um, Talking to investors, they're sitting home. If you've got a script, and you're not emailing it to people right now, you're sleeping. People are sitting around with nothing to do. They should be reading your script. You should be putting together lookbooks, images, anything you could do, um, and figure out like... I don't know, what, what, what are your assets? What do you have? Do you have a summer home? Well, that's a location. Do, do you have a buddy who does something that's pretty unique? He's a DJ, a piano player, a basketball player. Is he a freak with a tattoo on his face and he can eat fire? What has he got? What has she got that you mm-hmm. can incorporate into your work immediately this summer? Um, you know, because I, I think there's a period of hustle here. Um, Sundance Film Festival's in January. Most likely that festival will happy, happen. The deadline's going to be September. Maybe they push it to October. Mm-hmm. Nobody's been making movies.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: There's a shortage for the first time. Typically, you're competing against three to five thousand features. You're gonna mm-hmm. be competing against 800. This is your best opportunity. Um, so if you're not, you don't have skin in the game yet, you're you're a new person trying to figure it out. Like be brave. Don't be stupid or unhealthy. I, I better make sure I don't mix that up. I'm saying be smart, be savvy and find the angle because every time they say don't do something there's something else you can do so you, right. you just got to think you got to be a thinking person right now
0: right how, how do you see this thing playing out long term for the future for your industry
3: i, I think movie theaters are, are going to get crushed mm-hmm. uh, i think the, the major theaters are really going to get hurt we've been seeing this happen with streaming right. uh, the marvel and star wars tent poles. They, they really kept the, the movie theater going where you say, oh, I got to see that one in the theater
2: because right. it's right.
3: captive. You know what I mean? It's CGI. I got to see that. But I mean, they've got these like 72 inch TVs now in the house. <laughs> these giant TVs. Like <laughs> they look really cool. I mean, like, <laughs> and, like, now that I, I, I'm a father, like, I get it. You got three kids, and then he's got two friends. You got seven kids. Going to a movie is like 200 bucks. Mm-hmm. You know, For $6, you get it. You know, it's like 4K, UHD, whatever on your thing. Like, it's good enough. Um, <laughs> so I think that's going to be the shift. Now, in New York City and in L.A., we have a bunch of repertory theaters. We have the, the Metrograph. We have Film Forum. We have Brooklyn mm-hmm. Academy of Music. I think those are going to boom. Mm. I think the hipster theaters, the art house theaters, the theaters that are playing the classics, I mm-hmm. think those things are going to come back the same way vinyls has come back. Yeah, the same way kids are out there buying more records now than ever before. Um, so I, I do think that the movie theater will survive in that niche sense. Mm-hmm. I think the, the big movie theater of like waiting online and going to see whatever you were going to see, the Marvel movie or the new Last Jedi with 300 strangers, I think that might hurt
2: a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay now shifting back to the personal side um with your daughter i mean i think you you express what the what the what the joys are what's the challenges with the schedule and everything about being a father i was going to say what's the challenges and the rewards of being a father
3: well you know i don't want to sound like a jerk because i know a lot of parents are struggling right now i know mm-hmm. the remote learning has been a challenge to us uh, so many families
0: yeah, me, uh, me included. You know, not having the daycares
3: really disrupted people. But personally, like, it's been all joy and all gifts. Being around her, like, when I'm not around her, all I am is stressed that I'm not seeing what she's doing. Mm. So getting to be around her all day, I am just over the moon. I have zero complaints. I will not complain about a single thing. This is the best. <laughs> I, I love this. This has been an amazing time. My, You know, my wife is, is an attorney, very stressful job. She's in the other room though. And I could go in there and I could just touch her when she's stressed and give her a kiss. I could just be tender with her during the hard part of the day. That's a gift. Normally Mm. I can't, I can't be there for her throughout her day. Like, so we are on top of each other, but you know, I'm very lucky that it's a love fest here. I mean, this house smells amazing. There's food going around and like everyone's giggling and everyone's hugging all the time. So, you know, it's really just great. Um, But if I do have to answer, And choose something that's been challenging. I think it's the social aspect of the art world. And that's getting jobs is not always about applying for the job as much as going to the after party.
2: Mm. And I don't
3: go to the after parties anymore. So I might go see your film or go to your event, but I leave early. I don't get to that part where after the party, we go to the diner or we stay out till two in the morning and we like, we connect. Mm -hmm. And we're like, yo, I got to work with you. I don't get to that part right now. Mm. I show up for events when I can, and then I go right back home because you know the day starts so early. So I'm missing out on, on, on that phase. The, and it is a party aspect, but I'm not missing out on the party side. I'm missing out on the social side of the late night party, which is where a lot of ideas happen and a lot of community is born.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now that, make, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, with everything that you're doing. Time management tips. I'm, I'm big on time management, uh, learning, learning from people, their time management tips, especially when you when we have somebody on that's doing as as much as you're doing.
3: I, I got to say, I think teaching high school. like I So I taught high school pretty much right out of college. So my whole life until I was almost 30 was broken down into 40 every 40 minutes. A bell rang. Mm. I was also like showing a track runner. So I've always had a watch on and I've always been dividing time and distance. So I'm just super hip to time. Um, And I think that that's what I do in my life. Like I'm going to sit down and work on this for an hour. And then when that hour is over, I try not to have that extra 12 minutes of like searching the internet. It's like, no, that hour is over. I got a half hour doing the next thing. Mm -hmm. And I try to give myself like like that school schedule of like every 40 minutes, move on to something different. Don't don't belabor it and and get into, you know, move on. Get You know, um, compartmentalize. Compartmentalize my day and make sure every day at 11, Sid and I are going to exercise. Having a kid helps, right? Like they get up at the same time, they eat at the same time, they go to bed at the same time. So you got those things in. Now Sid and I are adding exercise in. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm adding in work time, call time. Then I'm adding in alone time. She's adding in. She likes to be in the kitchen with her knives cooking things. I like to drink whiskey. I have my whiskey time. Like, so we all have, like, <laughs> our little sections around the house to do our thing. Um, and it just kind of makes sure everything gets done. I'm also old school. I got right now in front of you lists everywhere, things I want to mention. Like, I got, you know, <laughs> to-do lists everywhere, checks
0: and, you know. So now, as a creative person, when that hour is up and you go, oh, man, I'm just hitting a sweet spot or what? do you push it or do you go, we're going to continue on that tomorrow or when I schedule the next bu- amount of time?
2: Um,
3: Gosh, it depends Like, it depends on the personalities I'm working with. I'm typically working collaboratively. So there are some people that I just have to lean into their brain. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, this one guy I'm working with, but the first three hours are a waste of my time because his brain isn't there yet. And then when he gets (laughs) ready to work, I've got to kind of meet him there. You know, that's also my job is to adapt and say like, all right, this personality type, he wakes up foggy, but he needs me there. If I'm not there, he's not getting his engine going. You know what I mean? And then when his <laughs> engine's going, I can't say, oh, I got to go do something. Because now is when he's firing off you know, steam. So now I got to like, write down everything he's saying and really get into the nuts and bolts of what, what we should be doing.
0: Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah.
1: Craig, you've shared so much with us. We're going to take a quick commercial break and we're right back after these commercial words. What's going on, folks? We're back. Episode 8 of the Be More Today show. Your host, Dr. Sean Thomas here with my boy, VP of Be More Today, Terrence Farrell. And our guest today is the illustrious actor, director, and producer, Craig Buda. We've learned so much from you about uh, Italy and Brooklyn, Staten Island, high school, and just the film industry. You've shared so much information with us that we didn't know before. Right? Thank you for that. Uh, mm-hmm. But now this is our our Be More Today book section, and as as I know, you read my book. Actually, you were one of the first people to buy my book, Craig, um, and I yeah. really really appreciate it. Um, from seeing you during the marathon route when I ran through Fort Greene to uh, have you on the show now, it's just really really awesome to have you with us. Um, we,
3: I ran that marathon, Sean. You need you to. You did. Make
1: sure you ran like, <laughs> <my laughs> <laughs> That was a strong. The best 15 seconds of life.
2: You're yes.
3: killing it. I have proof. I
1: high-stepped <laughs> for three blocks. It was amazing. <laughs> so, producer Craig, director Craig, actor Craig, what does the phrase Be More Today mean to you? Um, yeah, I was thinking about, this is the
3: one question I wanted to take time to think about. And I, I think the answer is, is in the word today, right? And like, today is a reset. Every day you get up and you get to reset, whatever that means for you. And I think a big part of being productive, a big part of being successful is you can't bring yesterday's garbage into today. That's done. We reset. Today's my new day. So, like, yeah, yesterday I said I was going to do 50 push-ups, and I didn't. I don't bring guilt. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's none of that. It's today. Today I could be more. Today I could do it. Today I start with new goals. Today I – And I think that's what I've had to do. Like, I've had a ton of failures. I've had a ton of setbacks. You know, as an actor, you have so much criticism, so much rejection, right? Like, that is a part of it. I can't let that just, like, build on side of me. I have to release it. And and that's what, you know, you have that that glass of whiskey at night. I go to bed. I wake up. It's a new day. That did not, not that it didn't happen. I learned from it. But today, I'm going to be more. Today, I'm going to step it up. Maybe I need to work harder. Maybe I need to go slower. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's the answer. Maybe I'm working too hard. Mm-hmm. Maybe like I'm going so fast I'm not really thinking and I'm not reflecting. So maybe, maybe the message for me today is to just slow down. Um, you know. So I think that's really the, the reset is, is the thing that means the most to me. Because you're, you know, in the book, we're constantly talking about like, you know, not beating yourself up, but giving yourself another chance. If you only have a minute, do a one-minute workout, 40 minutes, like whatever you could do, do. And I think it's important not to. Not to bring your failures into today. Yeah. We we all
1: start today clean. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah, yeah. That's perfect. Thank you. Now, when when you were, you were talking about obstacles, is there one particular obstacle or failure that you feel has shaped your life or shaped who you are today?
2: It's probably one of the
3: movies I made that I thought was just a home run Mm. and it kind of had a ceiling on it. Now I look back, I see exactly why it had its ceiling and and like why it only got so far. Um, But it was a feature film I made and I only had one microphone. So whenever someone else had to talk, they had to lean real close to me. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, We only have one cameraman and me and one microphone and and, and I, and we had no dialogue. I was like making it up. And you know, so obviously that movie's not going very far. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, we, we were reinventing cinema, and it was just kind of a reality check of like, yes, you succeeded for you. I did something beyond whatever I thought I could do. But there's still an industry, and the industry does not care that I made the movie for 2000. The mm-hmm. industry does not care about my setbacks. Once you step into the NBA, it doesn't matter your past. You've got to play against everyone in the NBA. Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. You don't mm-hmm. get an extra point because you're shorter. Who cares? Like if you're going to be a short NBA player, you've got to be as good as the tall guys or what's the point? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that was the learning lesson was like, nobody cares about my obstacles. Once the film is made, the film is a product, and that product must be compared to all other products. So my $2,000 movie – is compared to a 200 million dollar movie which maybe you say is unfair but it's not
1: that is the reality okay Mm, that's deep
0: uh
1: oh man yeah no no one cares i think i have a chapter book about no one cares it's true no one cares (laughs) it's just like just show up show up and do your thing every single day yeah yeah
3: i I really like sports metaphors even though i'm uh, very clearly not an athlete if you saw me running the marathon. No, you were killing the marathon. <laughs> Both three blocks are the best blocks. blocks. I'm winning. <laughs> um, I do like the sports metaphors, though, of most people in the NBA, I got to assume, almost everyone in the NBA and everyone that didn't make the NBA were the best in their block, the best on their block.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You know what I mean? And yeah. then in their high school, they were the best point guard. Right. They were just great. And so in their head, while they're playing, they're picturing Jordan. They they, they are the NBA. They're the greatest. At some point, they get thrown into NCAA, and they're like, wait, I'm only in D2? Mm -hmm. And I'm on a losing team with no ESPN games. And I'm out of breath. They get that reality (laughs) of, like, this is my athletic ceiling. And because you can only do so much with athletics, right? You can work hard and train, but your arms are only so long. You're only so tall. You only have such perception, whatever. Like, we are defined already, you know? Um, So with sports, it's very clear. Everyone I know that was an athlete in high school and college, there was a moment where they were like, yo, I realized I was not going to major league baseball. Mm -hmm. I got to a level and I saw a curveball that I could not hit. I couldn't hit a curveball at 93 miles an hour. And, like, somebody else does it for a living. They Mm -hmm. hit that pitch for a living and you couldn't hit it. I am a great minor league baseball player, but I'm not a major leaguer. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. the arts doesn't have that. The arts does not have that that moment where you realize that pitch is too fast for you.
2: <laughs>
3: you are able to go and act and direct and work in the arts until you're 70 and never realize where your ceiling is because there's so much ego and it's also so qualitative. While sports is way more quantitative. So mm-hmm. by being so qualitative maybe you know you see the sopranos and you see some guy who can't act. And you're like, yo, look at that guy. He's a star. I could do that. And it's like, yes, you could. If the right show comes around, Mm. every one of us could be positioned somewhere to to make it work. So Mm -hmm. it's really hard to tell an actor, dude, you're not making it to the major leagues. Mm. Why don't you pursue something else? Well, an athlete, I think by the time they hit their early 20s, they know their potential. They know where they're going. Um, For the most part, you you guys might have some really great, inspiring stories of athletes that become stars in their late 20s, but I I don't think there are many.
1: No, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's completely obvious. And uh, that's a very good point, Craig. I I like that. Um, So flashback, 18 years old, you, I don't know if you were working in high school or where you were exactly, but if someone had given you advice when you were 18 years old, what advice would you have wanted them to share with you? um stop pretending you have
3: girlfriends (laughs) just enjoy yourself why are you in a relationship at 18 what the hell does that mean you're 18 there's no girlfriends go have fun like i took everything so seriously yeah. I had girlfriends, and we were going to get married, and we were so... Lo- what was I doing? I took everything because that's all I knew. Everyone in my neighborhood married the person they dated in high school. Ah, everyone mm. did. Everyone was married by twenty twenty one. You know what I mean? Like the whole the whole neighborhood was very homogenous. Italian Americans parents got married right out of high school. Mm. All the dads worked for the city or the firemen, cops, uh, you know, sanitation, that kind of stuff. The moms maybe were teachers or nurse. I mean, it was very textbook um you know working class blue collar uh, stuff I-, I wish someone just said dude chill go nuts go nuts you're in your 20s yes go backpack take a bag go run around asia don't worry about it go live on the beach yes smoke that drink that go home with that girl be crazy because there's going to come a point where that's going to slow you down and if you didn't get it out of your system you're going to be thinking about that while you're trying to focus and that's going to be a distraction and I think I got a lot of things backwards in my life. In my 20s, I had a girlfriend where we would cook dinner and drink wine and like have dinner parties. And then like, by the time I was in my 30s, I was single. I'm running around with 20-year-olds because I never did that. Mm. I never got to party. I was a New York kid, and I experienced the gentrification of Williamsburg and rejected it. I was like, forget these nerds. I don't want to have anything to do with that. And I didn't embrace the party that was going on here in the 2000s. There's a massive party happening in New York and I didn't get in on it. So later in life, I had to go back and get in on it. And I think like I should have, that would have been my advice to switch those. Got like, it. Go easy on yourself when you're young. Go easy. Have some fun. Like we all grow up. We all slow down. Yeah. Like you're going to get there. Like go do some experimenting. Have some fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm a very serious young man.
0: on on the fun list uh name one thing on your bucket list Ooh,
3: yeah yeah uh tokyo i I am obsessed with japanese wrestling not sumo professional wrestling and i I really want to go to japan for new year's that whole week they shut down and have all these wild wrestling matches um i I really am obsessed with everything japanese from japanese movies to japanese art to japanese movie posters Yeah. The the food every year for my birthday, that's what we do. We have a big Japanese feast and Mm. I've never gone there because I'm like, I don't want to do it halfway. I want to go to Japan with a bucket full of money because I want to buy all these things to bring home to my house. And I don't want to go there on a a shoestring budget the way I have traveled the world where, you know, we're staying in a youth hostel or just eating some soup in a market. Like I really want to ball out and get that, uh, Hero Dreams of Sushi, $700 sushi plate. Mm. Mm. Okay. For
1: it. <laughs> so, Craig, as you know, in the book, we have these STGs. I call them the steps to greatness. I need to know what your STGs were, your start for this year. What was your start? Oh, let's see.
3: So, they, you know, I got a little confused on how to answer these. I was thinking about this stuff because this year really got kind of
2: <laughs> – <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Like I was just, I was like, wait, how can you ask me this? I don't like. This is a weird year. Um, for me, the goal this year was to cut out doing jobs just for money. There's a lot of jobs I take I don't care about, and I do it because the salary's right, it fits in, and I'm not present. I- I'm going through the motion. I know how to do it, but it is really a waste of my skills. But I'm doing it because they're putting bread in the the account and that helps. Mm -hmm. Um, So my goal this year was to say no to those jobs and to create my own work, to create the job, to talk to the investor, to talk to the artist and create a job and create my own salary. So I would be able to earn what I wanted to earn because I'm the one making the budget and I would decide what I was working on. That that was really the goal for the year. And, And it really started off great. I had like all these projects lined up. Everything was feeling good. I did my last commercial. I was like, I'm done with that. I'm ready to do these features. And then the world went on pause. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we spoke earlier about how I think it might, you know, pan out and whatnot. But it does mean I have to adjust, which also goes back to reaction versus action.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: I had a plan on what this year was going to be. We all did. None of us were right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> None of us so are right. happy to be there we thought we were going to have. So what do we do? How can we react to what we were given? And and I think that's what I am doing. I'm trying to see, um, you know, can I make zoom movies? Are there zoom movies? I'll try to make a zoom movie. I'm going to try to be as creative as I can in the next six or eight weeks. And then when I come out of this, I may have to put my foot in my mouth and go back and do things I didn't want to do because we're short on money now. Now we're spending and not earning. So that's fine. I've done that. I'll go, I'll go do anything. I just need to get out of the house. But so right now I'm focusing on a shift. Like I need to earn again. I need to feel safe, make sure my family is good. And then maybe that creative push that I had in 2020 becomes 2021. And, you know, sort of what I said about that reset. I'm not going to hold that against me or feel like a failure. The whole world paused. Some people aren't going to come back from this pause. I will come back. um, And I will get back on track. You know, I I don't have the full game plan because we can't see the field yet. I, we don't even, you know, it's like a fog is lifting over the football field and we're finally seeing who we're playing against. We don't even know what our opposition is just yet.
0: Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's, that's deep, dude. And it's true. I mean, we we have all these ideas for what we want to do. but And I think there's still good good things to have. But like you said, everything is, is different. Even, you know, May 15th is a date. That could be June 1st. Yeah. That could be July 15th. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we don't know really what's happening, but we're taking it as as it is. Yeah, um,
3: and as long as they're keeping these kids home uh, you know there's no school like they could say what they want how are we going to work yeah <laughs> <laughs> we we have you know you got a couple million kids just sitting at home like yeah. somebody's got to watch the kids somebody's got to yeah, entertain yeah. them and educate them um, yeah. that means there's one parent in every family almost that is it's some, if you have two kids you have two parents that have a full-time job right now um, it's been a very different quarantine for
1: those with kids and without. Right, Absolutely. So, Awesome. Craig, it's been a pleasure, man, to have you on this show. We really appreciated it. Um, any final tips you want to share with, with the listeners? Oh, gosh. Um, just to, you know, to be safe, be smart, but don't, you know, remember
3: that the, there's a thing in the Pirates of Penzance, um, the Pirate King, he, he's... There's about to be a mutiny on the ship. And he says, individually, I love you all, but collectively I loathe you. And that's how I feel about government. You know, individually, like (laughs) most of the people in this country are good people. Almost everyone I meet. I worked all almost all 50 states. Mm. There's good people everywhere. But for some reason, when we come together, it gets corrupt. Whether it's the Republican Party, whether it's the federal government. So be safe, but also be weary of who you're getting your advice from. Mm. Remember, this is a bunch of idiots that took really bad jobs because of their ego. Being a United States senator is a terrible job. These people took awful jobs because of their egos, and they're telling us about science that they don't really understand. And, like, just, I think you got to question everything. You can't just trust the federal government. That guy's a moron. And and the people that are advising him seem smart, but use some common sense here. Um, During this last few weeks, the richest people in America got a lot richer. And I didn't. And you probably didn't either. And I don't think that that's a coincidence that the corporations in America got more powerful. The mom and pops closed. The rich people got a great bailout. And I got twelve hundred dollars, which doesn't even touch the mortgage. Mm-hmm. You know, so be smart. Wear your mask if it makes you feel good. But, you know, don't trust the federal government.
0: All right. So, so where, where can people find you? I live in Fort Greene, Brooklyn. <laughs> no, nah. Instagram,
3: not uh, every day um,
2: <laughs>
3: uh, I you know so I don't actually use the social um wow Instagram and a a Facebook, but I don't even know if I remember the passwords um, <laughs> I think Sid knows my password for Instagram because she posts baby photos on there. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
3: But no, if any of your listeners ever need anything in the film world, oh, here's, this is what I should have landed on. I should end with this. Let's end with this. If you are listening out there and you are a young artist and you have an idea for a movie, you have a script, you have something you want to share that you think has an audience out there, but you just do not have the connections, please feel free to email me. Send me what you have. Be smart. Email me when it's done and make sure it's organized because I'm only going to look at it once. Um, But please, Craig Duda at gmail. You send your scripts over and I will treat them with respect. I will look it over. We are always looking for new voices. Um, you know, the, the more unique your, your story is, the more interesting it will be to us.
0: Awesome. All right. And, and spell, spell your last name for, for our viewers. Sure. So it's Craig,
3: C-R-A-I-G, Buta B-U-T-T-A
1: at Gmail. You could hit me up. I check my email all the time. Nice. Fantastic. Actor, director, producer, and friend, Craig Buter, thank you so much for joining us on this show. Episode 8 is a knockout. Uh, we learned a lot today about the film industry, and uh, yeah, I'm excited, man. I'm excited to see where this goes, and I'm excited to see where you go and, and all your exploits and your, and your projects. Uh, thank you so much just for being on the show with us and for allowing us to learn from your expertise. Oh, well, Thank really you, guys. Appreciate. It was a fun Sunday afternoon here. Yes, sir. Yes. And as always, <laughs> folks, we got to end with our quote again with age comes the undertaking and appreciation of your most important asset, your health. Please be healthy out there and be safe during this time. Uh, continue to, like Craig said, educate yourselves and make smart decisions. Uh, but use this time wisely. Just go out there and make sure that we can come out of this thing uh, a little more ahead than we want it to be. And those of you who are in the acting or or the film industry, make this the time to get out there and put some stuff out there. It's a great time to be an artist and a great time to uh, be creative during this time. For those of you guys who already know, we are Be More Today. We're on Facebook and Instagram, so go on those uh, websites and like us, please. We love to hear likes and anything you want to share about the show. You can give us a review on any of our podcast platforms. We have so many now from Spotify to Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play and Stitcher as well, and CastBox. So we're everywhere right now. Uh, give us a review. Let us know how you're doing. We like the show. We've got some reviews in the past. We really appreciate those things. Thank you so much for all that. We, our website is also com. so you can follow us on there for our music, our book, and the podcast information as well. And if you want to send us your thoughts via email, it's bemore2day at gmail.com or, again, any of our social media platforms. We are going to be ending our 40-day book challenge um, And that's going to be in May. So if you are still following us, you can go to BMT book on Instagram. You can follow us for our everyday workout plan that we're still putting out there for 40 days. And as always, uh, we just want to thank you guys for joining us on this show. Episode eight is in the books. And we just want to say that we will see you again next week. So until then, have a good day. Have a good night. Have a great light. And let's continue to be the most that we can to be the best version of ourselves. Have a great time, folks. Peace. Living life with
2: nothing to prove I'm gonna be a better version of me